back to Informed and Inflamed, where we seek to inform our minds with truth in order to inflame our hearts with love for God and neighbor. I'm Brad Owens, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another episode. I just finished an amazingly refreshing and grace-saturated new book called Deeper, written by Dane Orland. It is so good. You got to order this and put it at the top of your to-read stack. It is really, really good. But the subtitle is Real Change for Real Sinners, and it's a book about how spiritual growth happens. What I want to do in this episode is pull out a section of this book to consider together. I think this will be really helpful to think about. In the section of the book I'm thinking about, Dane Ortland pinpoints four different views of how we grow spiritually. He gets these categories from Jerry Bridges, but three of these views miss the mark when held up in the light of Scripture. The first three views have elements of truth in them, and yet somehow they either end up distorting another important aspect of the biblical portrait for spiritual growth or they're imbalanced in their emphasis. But these views are all very common, and we've all probably thought in these terms before at some point, or we at the very least find ourselves seeming to functionally operate day-to-day out of a heart that has embraced one of these three views. And certainly that's something we can all see in ourselves, right? There are so many times in life when we are confronted with the fact that although we know the right and biblical answers in our heads, our hearts don't seem to be tracking along. For example, and this is one that has been personally frustrating for me over the years, wrestling with anxiety, but we know that God is sovereign, that he's in control of all things, and that his goodness infuses his sovereignty at all times. And yet we still find ourselves being brought to our wit's end by anxiety and fear. There are deep disconnects between our heads and our hearts in all sorts of ways. And part of how we deal with these disconnects is through prayer. Tim Keller says it so well. He says, prayer turns theology into experience. And that's what we so desperately need and want, isn't it? We want the theology in our heads to get down deep into our hearts to change and transform them. But how do we actually change? That's the question these four views in Dane Ortland's book seek to answer. And here they are. The first one is God, then me. Number two, God, not me. Number three, God plus me. And number four, God in me. So let's take these one by one, and remember, we'll talk about how the first three views somehow miss the mark when it comes to the biblical vision of how we change and grow. But number one is God, then me. The God, then me view is the one that says God does everything necessary to save me from my sins, but after that initial reception of salvation in Christ, our spiritual growth is pretty much up to us. We get in by God's grace, but we get along by human performance. Or, to put it another way, we are saved by God's grace, but sanctified by our own grit. The problem with this view is that it fails to remember 
in the words of Dane Ortland, that God is both the ignition and the engine of our spiritual growth. Grace gets us going and it keeps us going all the way into glory. Now, I'd imagine most of us would intellectually agree with all of this. We know that God's grace both initiates and sustains us throughout our Christian lives. And yet, if we think about our daily mode of operation, we all fall into this way of thinking so often. What this view looks like when it is lived out on the street level of daily life is a stressful and burdensome pursuit of spiritual growth. Because everything depends on our performance, we're never quite sure if we're doing well enough. Our awareness and lived experience of God's love fluctuates up and down based on our track record. We sense that his love and delight in us seesaws up and down depending on how we are doing. If we're doing well, we feel good. God loves us and is pleased with us. But on those more difficult days, when we've lost it with our kids or our spouse, when we've spoken harsh and unkind words, when we've sought to medicate our hurting hearts with things that God has forbidden, then we feel like God is disappointed and even disgusted with us. We may spend days or weeks wallowing in guilt and shame because we feel so horrible as we look at our miserable record of sin after sin after sin. What this view misses is the unalterable and unfailing love of God for his children. Of course, our sin, even after we've been saved, displeases God. But that's very different from saying that God's love and delight in us moves up and down with our performance. God's love instead is settled firmly upon us. And Jerry Bridges sums it up well when he says this, Nothing you ever do will ever cause him to love you any more or any less. If we are in Christ, the Lord loves us just as much on our worst days as he does on our best days, because thankfully his love doesn't depend on us. Even our best days aren't good enough. And yet even when we were dead in our sins and wanted nothing to do with God, he loved us and came after us in Jesus. So that's the first view, God then me. Number two is God not me. God, not me, is the view that says God saved us without any contribution from us, so he will also purify us without any contribution from us. This view is on the opposite end of the spectrum as the God, then me view. And whereas the God, then me view says we are fully responsible for our spiritual growth, the God, not me view says that putting forth any effort at all undermines the power of God's grace. We should just kick back, relax, and let go and let God do his work in us. Now, the good things this view highlights are the truths that we can't grow spiritually by ourselves, that we really are utterly helpless without God's intervention and help. But this view goes too far. There are countless passages of Scripture that call us to chase hard after Jesus and growth in godliness. And we'll take a look at several of them when we get to the God in me view at the end. Here's one, though, that makes this responsibility clear. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. The call here in this verse is to train or discipline ourselves to be godly. 
anyone who has trained for any sort of athletic event knows that the training and discipline involved requires a tremendous amount of effort and exercise. The pursuit of growth in Christ does call for our activity and energy. And that's where this view fails to capture this important aspect of the biblical vision of change given to us in God's word. This view leads to fruitless passivity and stagnation in our spiritual lives. Because God's grace cancels out all human effort in this view, we just sit back waiting for God to change us. And sadly, when we do this, we don't experience much change. Thankfully, though, there is a better way to pursue change. Number three is the God plus me view. The God plus me view gets much closer to the mark than the previous two. This view brings both God's activity and our own together as it should. When it comes to our spiritual growth, God is active and involved, and so are we, and this view captures that. Dane Ortland provides a very helpful way to think about these first three views in his book. Here's what he says. If we picture each growth approach as a circle, the God-then-me approach has the circle entirely filled up with me. The God-not-me circle is filled entirely with God. And the God-plus-me circle has a squiggly line down the middle with roughly one half filled with God and the other half filled with me. So the God-plus-me view appropriately identifies spiritual growth as a process that involves both God and ourselves, but it still misses something. Dane Ortland continues with the imagery of the spiritual growth circle and says this, but the proper approach would have both God and me entirely filling the circle. The two agents are overlaid. So this brings us to our final view, number four, God in me. God in me faithfully captures all that the scriptures say about how we grow up into maturity in Christ. This view highlights that God and his grace are behind every bit of spiritual growth that we experience. God works grace into our souls, and we work that very same grace out into every aspect of life in spirit-powered obedience. Dane Ortland quotes Jonathan Edwards in this section of his book, and here's how Jonathan Edwards says it. We are not merely passive in our spiritual growth. That would be the God, not me view. Nor yet does God do some and we do the rest. That would be the God plus me view. Here's where, here's, this is really important what he says here. But God does all and we do all. So God works and we work every step of the way. And yet God's work is always primary. As Dane Ortland finishes up this section in his book, here's what he says before listing several scripture passages that highlight this, which we'll also take a look at in just a moment. But first, Dane Ortland says this, consider how the Bible speaks about our spiritual vitality. Notice the way God is always held up as the one supremely responsible for our growth, yet never in a way that cancels out our own efforts. And then here are the scriptures that he lists. So listen for the way these highlight the supremacy of God's work in us. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. 
On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13 say this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Colossians 1 verse 29, last one, says, For this, and here it's talking about maturity in Christ, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he so powerfully works within me. So these verses capture the biblical vision of how we change and grow up into the fullness of who God is forming us to be. God works grace into us that we then work out in our pursuit of godliness. Our growth is never merely left to our own performance, although our effort is involved. But God's grace gloriously stands behind every bit of growth we come to enjoy. As we wrap up this episode, let me say this. As Christians, we all want to grow. We all want to see change in our lives. We want to see particular sins that are currently defeating us lose their power over our hearts. We want to walk in freedom from the sins that presently entangle us. And the good news is that we can. With the Spirit's help, we can experience deep change. It often happens much more slowly than we'd like it to, But radical transformation is possible because of the life-altering power of God's grace. But what we must remember as we pursue godliness is that the pursuit of godliness is ultimately about the pursuit of God himself. Growth happens as we descend ever deeper into the vast depths of God's heart and of who he is. In other words, change is not the end goal in itself. The ultimate goal is beholding and becoming more like Jesus. And spiritual growth is the happy byproduct of that gloriously enjoyable pursuit of Christ. Here's how Dane Ortland puts it at the end of his book. He says, If you take your eyes off of Jesus Christ and direct your gaze to your own growth, you will prevent the very growth you desire. Instead, the deepest secret to growing in Christ is this. Look to him. Set your gaze upon him. So may we keep the pursuit of God, his glory, and his goodness at the very heart and center of our growth in grace. And may our hearts sing along with David these words from Psalm 27, verse 4, which says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, and this only will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to meditate or to reflect upon his goodness in his temple. Wow, may that become the all-consuming desire of our hearts to be dazzled and delighted by the goodness and grace of God. That's it for this episode of Informed and Unflowed. Thanks so much for joining me, and I look forward to connecting with you again next time.